0: Good morning. I'm Joel Greenwood, and I'll be leading our scripture verse this morning. It's from Mark 1, verses 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, and and he touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the good news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Thank Thank you, God. God. All right, while you guys... Take your seat. Um, I will remind you of one other part of our service called the pastoral prayer. We usually fit that in um, somewhere around the scripture reading. And the purpose of the pastoral prayer uh, is to kind of give me or Brian um, a chance to um, settle down. Uh, we, We get there's this moment right before we come up on stage where we're really eager to preach Uh, Three songs is a lot for me to sit through when I'm really eager to come and preach. Um, It's important for us to uh, begin the service with singing and worshiping, Um, uh, but I also get a little bit nervous because we take this very serious. And so uh, the pastoral prayer is this moment for us to remind all of us together as the church of how good this is, how good this moment is, but also it gives us a chance to remember how big and how serious it is that the word of the Lord, the the holy words of God to us enter into our being. They enter into our world and they speak to us. The spirit is alive today through his word. And so we get the opportunity to sit in submission to God and receive the holiness of Jesus through his word. So I'm gonna pray now that I got to explain that. Um, Would you please join me in prayer? Holy Father, we know that you are in this place because we know that you dwell within the people of your church. We know that it's a special and holy thing when we gather together to worship you. God, you did not need your church, but you chose to create a people for yourself to spread your good news and your holiness through the world to declare your power and your glory in the sanctuary of your church. So God, we thank you for your mercy that you would choose us, that you would stretch out your hand to us and offer us your holiness. God, we ask for your forgiveness because we know that we are unclean but that in you, you make us clean. And so, God, would you remind us of the grace and the mercy that we have through your son, Jesus, that you offer us compassion and mercy in him. Would you soften our hearts to accept your words this morning? We pray these things in his holy name. Amen. All right, well, good morning. Now I can get to my introduction My name is Ryan, I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Um, Thank you for joining us to worship this morning. This is a a sweet time for us to gather together to celebrate, to worship, to remember uh, what Jesus has done for us, what he's promised to do for us in the future, and who we are in him. And so thank you for gathering together this morning. Um, We're gonna go ahead and get into it because in these uh, short six verses, we could make an entire sermon series out of just this passage, and there would be plenty of meat still left on the bone. What Mark 1 is saying um, in its entirety is, is capitulated here in Mark 1, 40 through 45. That the holiness of God has come. The kingdom of God has come to us. It's here. It's at hand. This passage verses 40 through 45, but really the entirety of Mark 1, setting the stage for the entire gospel of Mark, this passage is about Jesus making old things new, broken things restored, dead things to life. This passage is about holiness. You've probably heard me say that word probably 30 times this morning, Holy. Holy. This passage is about holiness. So naturally, the title of this sermon is The Holiness of Repentance. The Holiness of Repentance, if you like sermon titles. Um, there's a song by Andrew Peterson. It's called, Is He Worthy? And the song is a call and response with the audience. So hopefully we'll get to do that song sometime. It takes a little bit of learning, but um, Peterson will lead the song. He'll ask a question And the the crowd will respond, the church will respond to that question. And the call and response kind of has this march to it, to where we're feeling our brokenness, we're feeling our longing for God to make things new, and then ultimately we declare that Jesus alone is worthy. He's the only one that can make all things new. So let me read the first first two verses to us. Do you feel the world is broken? And the church says, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning And the church says, it is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. We live in a world that is not as it should be. There's darkness, evil, death, wars, pandemics, infertility, Hatred, miscarriages, abortions, murder, violence, racism. We're familiar with the pain and the suffering of this world. We're familiar with the fact that things are not as they should be. Creation is broken, defiled, impure, and unholy. But the promise of the kingdom of God coming to us. The promise of Mark 1:15 that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. The promise of God's holiness coming to us is that things will be put back as they should be. Things will be made right. There will be no more crying. There will be no more death. There will be no more disease. There will be no more miscarriages and infertility. There will be no more murder. When Jesus declares that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying, finally, things are being put back together as they should be. And this word holy, we don't see it in our passage, but we see holiness as a concept. Um, We typically think of holiness as... um, This moral standard that we live by, it's connected to our actions, and that's part of it. Holiness has a little bit to do uh, with morality, but that's not the full story. Holiness, um, we see in Exodus, God declares the ground under the feet of Moses at the burning bush. God declares the ground holy. If holiness is solely tied to morality, how can the ground be holy? The ground is holy because the God that is Im- amongst the ground, amidst the ground, whatever the correct word is, the God where the ground is, is holy. The ground is connected to the source of holiness. We also see uh, throughout um, Exodus and then also throughout the first five books of the Bible, uh, the rest of those, God uh, tells Israel to consecrate or to set apart certain days of the year as holy. How can a day Be holy if holiness is solely tied to morality. No, the day is meant to be holy because it draws us closer to God. It brings us into remembrance of God. God declaring the day holy makes it holy. Our consecrating that day remembers the holiness of God. How can a day or the ground or people, how can the church be holy? unless it's in relationship and connection to the source of holiness. Now, God's holiness means that he's pure. He's undefiled. That means there is no death, no sin in him. He's powerful. He's the source of life. He's the source of things being set back as they should be. What What is unholy is... Being made holy through God. And so, in order for us to be made holy, we must come in contact with the source of holiness. The book of Ezekiel paints holiness as a picture of a river. And anywhere that river flows, it brings life and flourishing and goodness, not just to the people, but to the land. This Andrew Andrew Peterson song is tapping into our longing for holiness, our longing for things to be set right. Do you feel that the world is broken? Don't you wish that it could all be made new? Um, Leprosy in Mark 1 is a reference to the way that leprosy is commanded to be handled through the Old Testament And so we hear this callback. This word leper reminds us about what happened centuries ago. And we can see in the book of Leviticus how God intends for us to handle leprosy because leprosy through the Old Testament is painted as an illustration of the sin nature of humanity. God actually gives grace to the rest of humanity to only use a certain amount of people to portray The total destruction of sin through the disease of leprosy. See, when we talk about sin, we are talking about the bad things that we do. But we're not only talking about the bad things we do, we're talking about sinful actions coming from a sinful nature. The things that we do that hurt ourselves and hurt others come from this state of brokenness within us that we can't fix. It's something that's out of our hands. It's out of our control. The sinful state boiled down to its very root, its very core, is a distrust in God to be God and that we think we make better gods for ourselves. We can tie all of our sin nature, all of our bad actions and the state of our being back to thinking that we make better gods. So we get two stories In Numbers 12, uh, the sister of Moses, Miriam, she um, forms a coup with her brother, her other brother, Aaron. So the the three siblings, uh, Aaron and Miriam, form a coup against Moses and start saying that he doesn't know what he's doing. He must not be following God. He must be going on his own way. And so they oppose him. And God um meets with Moses, and he says, hey, your brother and your sister, they started to form a coup against you, um, so we're going to settle this thing. And a, the cloud, God's presence falls on the people, and everybody sees the cloud fall on the tent where Moses and Miriam and Aaron are. And God says, when I lift this tent, Miriam will be a leper, or when I lift this cloud, Miriam will be a leper, And so the cloud lifts and Miriam's skin is white as snow, which then it was instantly leprosy. Numbers, uh, that was Numbers 12, uh, 2 Kings 5, a non-Jewish king named Naaman contracts leprosy to show that he is walking in opposition to God and God's people. God gives him the grace to say, hey, you're you're walking in opposition to me. You actually think you're God, and you're not, and I need to show you that right now. So he gives him leprosy, and it's actually the pride of Naaman, doesn't this sound familiar, the pride of Naaman that prevents him from going to God for healing, and his leprosy gets worse. And so remember, there's a connection between leprosy and sin. Miriam got leprosy because she opposed God. Naaman got leprosy because he opposed God. Both of them thought they knew better. Immediately, Miriam and Aaron repent. Naaman in his pride gets worse. And so we get this, this picture of how can we respond to, to our sin, to our sin nature. For both Miriam and Naaman, the healing came. Eventually, Naaman would repent. The healing came in tandem with faith and repentance. The healing of their their sin state came with faith and repentance. The Holy Spirit in Mark 1, 40 through 45, intentionally uses this connection to leprosy. Leprosy is like sin. Leprosy is killing this man. Sin is killing us. And like sin does to the soul, leprosy is a disease that slowly decomposes a person's body. It does it bit by bit. It starts out on the extremities. It's a bacterial infection that's incurable. The parallel story um, to Mark's story, Mark's chapter one telling of this healing is in Luke five. And Luke tells us that this man comes to Jesus for healing full of leprosy. Now they don't say that when somebody's just got a couple of red spots on their hands. Full of leprosy means the disease has run its course. He stinks, it's putrid, it's repulsive, it's terrifying to look at. This man is not just sick, he's the living dead. This man is not just sick, he's the living embodiment of sin. He's become ostracized by his family. He's in physical danger. He could die at any minute. He's been pushed out of his community. And so when we read these verses, we get a sense of why he comes and implores Jesus and falls to his knees and begs him for healing. He knows the state that he's in. He knows the nearness to death that he's in. Let's reread verses 40 through 42 of Mark 1. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. If you desire to do so, I know you have the power. And Jesus moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, I desire to. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. The first thing that I noticed when I was reading and studying this passage that just kept coming back to my mind was the emotion of Jesus. The emotion of God in the flesh being moved to pity. Some translations probably will say being so stirred with compassion or moved to compassion. You see, culturally, what the right thing to do when a leper comes your way is to throw rocks at him. It was tradition for the rabbis at the time to throw rocks at the lepers to keep them away so that their uncleanness doesn't infect their own cleanness or to beat them with sticks to get out of their village to keep all the other people safe. And Jesus, moved with compassion, stretches his hand out and touches the man. He did not have to touch him. Jesus has healed people while in a different village. He could have healed him simply by his word and his will. But the love of God reached out and touched a man. And that tells us, That tells us a couple of things. First, it tells us that the love and the holiness of Jesus is more contagious than sin and leprosy. The love of Jesus is more contagious than sin. The holiness of Jesus is more contagious than our sin nature. We become infected with his holiness. It also tells us something because Jesus was willing to risk his own cleanliness. Willing to risk his own cleanliness to touch this man, to show him love and compassion. That he, it's a, okay, I'll just read this. Instead of trying to say it on my own, I'll say what one commentator says. Um, The ceremonial law gives place to the law of love when the two come into collision. Jesus shows us, that the ceremonial law, this law of clean, unclean, how to purify yourself that we see in the book of Leviticus, the ceremonial law gives place, it yields to the law of love when the two come into collision. Essentially, love is more holy than religious duty. Can we just think about that for a second? I'm gonna take another drink of water and let you sit with that. Love is more holy than religious duty. Do we believe that? The heart of God towards us is that he reaches out and touches us. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to him. He's not waiting for you to figure it out. Jesus can handle your uncleanness. He desires to make you clean. Remember, the holiness of Jesus is more contagious than the disease of sin. Let's look at uh, verses 43 through 45. We're going to read the second path, second half of this passage. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. Some translations might say Jesus indignantly spoke to him. There's a tone, a volume of anger right there. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, what the law commanded for a proof to them. But instead, this man went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Why does Jesus sternly charge this man? Why does he respond to the man that he just healed, this man that he just had compassion for? Jesus is not impulsive. This is not a reactive moment. Why is Jesus responding with just a a, a flavor of anger right there? Well, we've got the time, so I'm going to share something um, that I found in my studies. He says, go uh, show yourself to the priests as a proof to them. These are the people that would eventually reject Jesus. These are the people that would order his murder on the cross. And so Jesus... God is the only one that can heal a leper. So these priests had never done a a cleansing ritual for a leper. This man would have come to the the temple and said, hey, I've been healed of leprosy. Can you do this thing with burning the cedar wood and touching me with the coals or whatever it is, doing the sacrifice? Can you do this thing for me uh, because I've been healed? Surely they knew this man already because he had already come to them and showed them his leprosy. And then he would come to them again and they would see that his skin had been cleansed. And they'd wonder, how did this happen? And the man would say, Jesus of Nazareth healed me. This messianic healing, this miracle that could only be done by God would prove to the priests that God is among them, yet they would still reject Jesus as the Messiah. Not only that, but this man going to the temple to be cleansed is honoring God's law in which Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. So it's obedience for him to say, now go and be cleansed. In, in this man's cleansing at the temple, he would prove to the priests, the very people that would soon reject and kill Jesus, and he would prove to his own community because they'd be safe to be around him He would prove to his own community that he's been transformed. The man's transformation would preach the gospel. Sure, his words could preach the gospel, but the man's transformation would preach the gospel. Just like when we put our faith in Christ and we are changed. When we receive his holiness and we are made holy, it changes us. And it's our transformation that preaches the gospel. The gospel lived authenticates the gospel preached. We are commanded to preach. We are commanded, all of us, not just me with the microphone, all of us are commanded with our words in our mouth to preach the gospel of Jesus, that in him alone there is restoration and healing. To repent and believe the good news. But it's, Paul says in his greeting to the Thessalonians, I did not come to you with words of wisdom, with eloquent eloquent speech, and just with logic convince you that the gospel is true. I came to you in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit being transformed in me that my words would have authority through the way that I lived. The gospel lived authenticates the gospel preached. So why does this man charge, why does Jesus charge this man to honor God's law? His obedience would prove his transformation. Through the leper's transformation, not only is he being transformed, but he's taking that transformation out into his world. He joins Jesus in the work of preaching the gospel. We just learned last week in the passage right before that the whole point that Jesus came was to preach the gospel. So this man joins in that gospel preaching. Our transformation in Jesus welcomes us into his work too. Through our being made holy, Jesus restores us, and then through the people of his church, he works to restore the souls of other people, he works to restore creation. When the love of Jesus causes us to love the people that make us angry, the holiness of Jesus is making things new. When the compassion of Jesus causes us to reach out to people who are different from us, who are far from us, the holiness of Jesus in his church is making things new. When the mercy of Jesus leads us to show mercy to the people who we think least deserve it, the holiness of Jesus through the church, is making things new. In our passage, we see that Jesus calls this man to honor God's law to be clean, but for us, because Jesus fulfilled the law, and then he died as the ultimate sacrifice, the, the perfect life of Jesus, fulfilling the law, the innocent death of Jesus, the perfect and eternal sacrifice, and his resurrection, that there is life beyond death in Christ this is the gospel. This gospel makes permanent our own holiness. When we look to Jesus, when we repent and believe the good news that he says in Mark 1.15, and we accept the free gift of holiness, we don't have to obey the ceremonial law. But he gives us a new commandment. Jesus gives us a new commandment to love one another. Let's look at John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we can hear the echo of go and obey, go and be cleansed as a proof to the world. Go and be cleansed, love your neighbor as a proof to the world. Not just your neighbor, but your fellow Christian. We're called to love each other first. And then we go out and love the world. A new commandment I give you. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. Love because I have loved. So where does our, what is the source of our love? 1 John chapter four, there's two key verses there. You may know these. First John 4 8 says, Anyone who does not anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then a few sentences later in verse 19, he says, We love because he first loved us. These scriptures, John 13, same author, the Gospel of John and the letters of John, um, these verses interact with us as an indicator. They help us to see whether the love in us is the love of Christ or if it's the love of self. So I'll give you just a a couple of examples. When I respond to my kids' disobedience in anger and I lash out at them, I know that what I most need is not, okay, just stop being angry. Does that work? That's never worked for me. Stop being angry. I also don't need five deep breaths to help me calm down. What I need most is a greater understanding and a greater experience of the love and mercy of Jesus. I cannot give what I don't have. So if I'm, if I'm realizing that I'm not able to give love, that means I need to be filled with Christ's love. Now, the Holy Spirit in me has already made that permanent. That's, that's freedom in Christ. I have access to it. So I pray, I repent, I ask for forgiveness for G- from Jesus that, th- that he's already given me, but I also ask forgiveness for my kids. As humbling as that is to get on your knees and ask forgiveness to your four-year-old, it's humbling, but it's good. I repent and I remember that I am the leper and that Jesus is the only source of love and mercy and compassion. If I want compassion for my kids, I must find it first in Jesus. When we struggle to forgive, when we struggle to forgive the very people that cause us pain, real pain, then that's a sign to us that we gotta spend more time sinking deeper into learning and experiencing the forgiveness of Jesus. So we're free to be honest with our friends, we're free to be honest with the church, to depend on our brothers and sisters in Christ, to remind us of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. And when our cynicism prevents us from being able to love each other, when our frustration prevents us from being able to love, we must depend on Jesus to love us through our own brokenness and sin. Only then will we understand the freedom of forgiveness and love that we have in Christ. It would be insanity if the leper thought he could make himself right. It is insanity for us to believe that we can make ourselves right. Full of leprosy, full of sin, unable to help ourselves, we turn to the only one who can heal us. And Jesus is not repelled by your sin. He is not put out at the notion of, I've got to forgive you. It's the very reason he came to preach the gospel of forgiveness. Jesus can handle your uncleanness. In fact, he reaches out to you and offers you the touch of compassion and healing And holiness. The holiness of repentance is turning from the disease of sin and letting Jesus make you holy. The holiness of repentance is turning from the disease of sin and letting Jesus make you holy. I'm going to repeat those two verses of the Peterson song because it's seamless transition into communion. Communion. I hear a few of you saying this back at me. Let's do it this time. Your response is, it is. Is all creation groaning? It is. We feel that, don't we? Wars, earthquakes, famines, wildfires. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is, and so we will remind ourselves this morning, communion is a holy memorial for the church. Band, you can go ahead and make your way up to the stage. Communion is a sacred remembrance that the love of Jesus reached out so far to us that it killed him the compassion and the mercy of Jesus reached out so far to us that it nailed him to a cross to make you holy. The bread and the juice, the body and the blood of our Savior broken and poured out for us reminds us of what true and perfect love is. It reminds us that holiness is found in the love of Jesus and that his holiness is in us who believe. Now, because communion is a holy memorial for the church, if you have not trusted Jesus to do this for you, if you have not turned from your sin and come to Jesus as the only source of holiness and healing, if you are not a Christian, I would ask that you refrain from taking communion with us? And instead, would you consider a question? I have one question for you. What if the leper, what would have happened to him if he did not come to Jesus? All of us are unable to help ourselves. All of us are unable to make ourselves clean and healed and holy. Repent and believe the good news. It is good news. God, our Father, we trust you to be good. We trust you for our own goodness. We know that without you, we are like lepers, destined for a slow, destructive, painful, repulsive death, But God, we latch on to your promise in Mark 1:15 that the kingdom of heaven has come because your son has brought it to us. And that we can repent, we can turn from our sin, we can turn towards you and latch on to your holiness. That you give us goodness and holiness, you restore our souls. Creation is being restored through your son and it begins in our souls. God, would you bring us healing and restoration this morning? For those of us who have not put their faith in you, God, would you soften their hearts and let them see and know your compassion and your mercy? God, would you help us to remember the gift of your son dying on the cross for us and that in his body and his blood, as we take it and remember, we are made holy with him. We are made holy through his forgiveness. And as we take communion, we remember the holiness that we have freely in Jesus. God, would you lead us to worship? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.